So I trust that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving and are all ready for Advent. I should say, I should actually say that I hope you're, you're ready this week to prepare for Advent because this is one of those years where we actually get a week between Thanksgiving and the beginning of Advent. There's something refreshing about not rolling straight from Halloween into Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving into Advent, and Advent into Christmas. It's nice to take a breath, even if Costco, Hallmark, and all the music playing in grocery stores tells us otherwise. But in the liturgical calendar, in the church calendar today, today is labeled as Christ the King Sunday. Christ, how many of you have heard of Christ the King Sunday before? So Christ the King Sunday, it's the last Sunday in the liturgical year. Uh, but even in the churches that follow the calendar closely, it often, especially in the United States, often gets squeezed. Often gets squeezed. Um, by Thanksgiving and the start of, of Advent. Uh, and it's a bit ironic. It's a bit ironic because of the history of how this date came to be in the liturgical calendar. It wasn't officially recognized until 1925, so it's one of the newer dates in the liturgical calendar, when Pope Pius XI looked around the world and he, he saw a society that was growing increasingly secular. And a world, a world where, where people were constantly at war with one another. And it was his attempt to remind Christians that Jesus was Lord over every aspect of life. Politics, work, family, what happens inside the church, what happens outside the church, everything. And he placed the day at the end of the calendar to emphasize that both the beginning of the year, Advent, and the end of the year, Christ the King Sunday, should emphasize and point toward the Lordship of Christ. So let's take a, a quick survey. Who pulled out their Christ the King decorations this week? Anyone? Pius had noble intentions, but I think it's safe to say that he lost the battle of trying to make the Sunday before Advent anything more than a time to prepare for the coming season. At least here. Now, decades before Christ the King Sunday, there was another debate around this time of year. And that debate took place in Europe. As days started getting colder and shorter with winter, there were a, a few different cultures that used evergreen trees and branches and decorations as symbols of hope. The Norse people went as far as believing that every time you put out an evergreen and you put it outside or inside, that you were actually protecting your house against evil winter spirits. So that's the, the Norse tradition. And then at some point, the church in Europe kind of caught on and it added holly and ivy to the evergreen, which pointed to the enduring nature of God's love and the ongoing promise of eternal life. Now, for those who actually call, follow the liturgical calendar, um, what is the color for ordinary time? Green. I, I fooled you for a second there, Aubrey. Green. Green. So green is the color that we use for ordinary time, and ordinary time is any time, essentially, that's not Advent and not Lent. I mean, there's a few other days spattered in there, but, but it's, it's green. It's ordinary time. And 
It's there for a reason. The color green that the choir all wears wonderfully. The color, the color green, it, it's meant for the flourishing of life. So during ordinary time, we use green to remind us of the ongoing flourishing of life, about God's promise to us. So a couple weeks ago, our worship planning team was talking about decorating our campus today, what we're doing right after church, and we had a kind of funny debate. We had a kind of funny debate, at least it was funny for those of us that follow the liturgical calendars. It's the day, is the day that you set up for Advent referred to as hanging of the green or hanging of the greens? How many of you think it's hanging the green? How many of you think it's hanging the greens, plural? Plural. Well, you're kind of both right. It depends on what tradition you follow. The Norse people or the, or the, the European church. The Norse tradition, the European church, and the European church technically got their tradition from the Norse, Norse people. Uh, but if we're following Pope Pius's lead, it really doesn't matter anyway. Because what we should be doing today is what? Christ the King Sunday. We should be declaring that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord. And I'd argue that that's what we should focus on each and every day. But as we prepare for Advent, as we decorate here at church, as you've decorated at home, I'd invite us to think about the hanging of the green or the hanging of the greens, setting up our Christmas decorations as reminders of the ongoing presence of Jesus in our lives. Our first reading this morning from Malachi looks back to a prophet who expected another prophet, a messenger who would show up and tell God's people to be prepared. Our second reading tells us of when that messenger arrived, reading from the beginning of Mark's gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So over the last decade or so, I've enjoyed the challenge of learning to perfect a Thanksgiving turkey. I've I've talked to you before about the the competition I have with my mother-in-law. She brings a turkey. She cheats. She brings a turkey that's used in a a 100-year-old roaster to make. All those turkey juices just sitting in it. It's not fair. Uh, And I've tried a few different methods, but, but this year... I figured, because the last two or three years I did pretty well, I figured, oh, this year I, I don't need to prepare. I've got it covered. I've done it enough. I've, I've kind of I've got it nailed, so I don't need to worry about it. 
My mom ordered the bird. My dad got a new smoker that I was excited to christen. I set aside the seasoning for the brine and for the rub and figured we were, we were good to go. On Wednesday night, after a lovely five-and-a-half-hour drive to San Diego in a van with three kids and a dog, we got to my parents' house. We unloaded and unpacked, and that's when I realized I wasn't quite prepared. I forgot my bonsai shears. I know you think bonsai shears. That's weird for a turkey. It's to trim the turkey. Forgot my bonsai shears and my, my heat resistant gloves. So, so trimming the turkey and handling it on the, on the grill would have had some added challenges. It all worked out. The turkey was super tasty. I won again, I think. But the whole process was more stressful and way more difficult than it needed to be. The same thing happens when it comes to preparing for Advent and preparing for Christmas. When we're prepared, Things go great. How many of you ever hosted a party and then said, oh, shoot, I'm not ready? Right? It doesn't matter if we're ready or not, or whether we refer to the day that we decorate as the hanging of the green or the hanging of the greens. The season is coming. You got a week. And when we actually spend time preparing, we put ourselves in a place where we're more readily aware of the presence of Christ around us. The Gospel of Mark is known for being direct and to the point. It doesn't feel as full as Matthew sometimes. It doesn't include the, the nitty-gritty details that Luke includes or paint uh, pictures with words like the Gospel of John, but it is straight and to the point. Mark is clear. Mark is is concise. He doesn't waste words. And his first words in the gospel are both a title and a summary that are all rolled into one, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, in my mind, there are really only two opening lines in literature that prepare readers for what's coming, like these words here. The the first is, "In in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Where does that come from? Genesis. And then, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with worms and a newsy smell. Not a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole. And that means comfort. I'm sure you can think of an opening line or an opening few sentences from a book or a story that you just think, oh, this sets the tone for what is coming. One that catches your attention and gives you an idea of what you're going to find on the following pages. Mark is writing about a new beginning, and it all revolves around the good news of Jesus. Everything else Everything else that's to follow is built off of that foundation. So as we prepare for Advent, we should start from that same place. So you've got a week. Some of you have pulled out decorations already. Some of us are just beginning to. What does it look like for you to spend some time coming up with a plan? Coming up with a plan for how, for how, 
you will keep the good news of Jesus as the foundation of what you do each and every day during the Advent season. Maybe it's lighting Advent candles every night. Maybe it's reflecting on the devotional that we'll be sending out each day, written by members of our church community. Or maybe it's as simple as committing to five minutes every day to to pray and to focus our attention on Jesus. The season is about to get busy if it's not busy already for you. But we've been gifted this extra week to prepare. Let's use it. So between now and next Sunday, I'd encourage you to make a plan. How can you grow in faith each and every day during Advent? Mark moves from his poignant introduction to to quoting the prophet Isaiah where, where he promises a messenger who would call out from the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, there are a few images that come to mind when I think of the sort of wilderness that's described in the Bible. And I'm guessing that you can relate to at least one of these images. One is literal wilderness, whether it's sleeping on a deck high up in a tree in Zambia or getting lost on a local trail. Wilderness is the feeling that you're out of your element that you're, you're out of your comfort zone, literal wilderness. The other image that pops in my head is what I feel when I'm not so sure about what's coming next. Next in my own life. Next for my family. Next for our church. That, that wilderness that comes when we're not so sure about what next is going to look like. And the last image is what I picture or here, rather, when my kids are playing in another room and it suddenly goes from laughter or back and forth banter to silence. You know that, that, that sound where you know that there's just something happening in, in that room? It's the wilderness of the calm before the storm. So, so those three types of wilderness, the, the literal wilderness, kind of the I'm out of my element. The, the, the wilderness of uncertainty or the wilderness of the unknown and that, that wilderness that feels like the calm before the storm. That wilderness can be scary. It can be intimidating. It, it can make us feel vulnerable. It can be unsettling. But it's also in the wilderness over and over and over again in Scripture where, where God is heard where people hear God. We see examples of that with Moses, Joshua, Isaiah, Paul, John. They all hear God in the wilderness. And the God that spoke then still speaks today. So so during Advent, we have this opportunity to step in, to intentionally step in to wilderness. So in addition to preparing uh, by, by creating a, a growth plan, how you can grow in faith each and every day, I want to invite you to embrace the moments of wilderness. To even intentionally seek them out when you see twinkling lights on a tree or in a neighbor's house. When you pull another ornament out of the box or a recipe for one of your favorite batches of cookies. Take a moment to be still. A moment to embrace the quiet. 
Now, as John appeared from the wilderness, Mark writes that he came baptizing and preaching about repentance and the forgiveness of sin. He stood in the Jordan River and he was really offering people a a fresh start. He was offering people a fresh start. One of my, my favorite weeks in the calendar is the week between Christmas and New Year's. It's partially because as a pastor I can finally say, oh, we got through it. But, but it's also because there's something about that week where I can spend some time reflecting on the year that has just gone by. Setting some, some time down to, to journal and to write and just say, well, here's, here's what happened this year. Here's what was hard this year. Here's what was great this year. What am I mourning? What am I celebrating? And then I get to look forward to what's coming. I get to set some goals. I'm not saying I always accomplish those goals. That's a part of what I reflect on when I sit down. But the fresh start in itself is energizing. It is life-giving. So when John invited people to repent and be baptized, he was inviting them to, to turn from their past and to move toward what was next. To prepare for the coming Lord. And this is one place where the, the hanging of the green connects fairly clearly with the message of Advent. When we decorate with wreaths and other greens, we're, we're making a symbolic gesture of a need for a fresh start. So uh, this afternoon, and, and not afternoon, in about 30 minutes, we'll be hanging wreaths on each of the windows. How, you remember how our, 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 it's going to look the same as it's always looked? Um, but it's going to look a little different. We have wreaths that hang in each of the stained glass windows. And, and last year... Peter and I, we, we hung them up, and I think we looked at them and we thought, oh, those need some work. The, 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 the wreaths were kind of falling apart. You know, they, Peter said, they're only two or three decades old. Of course they need, they need some work. And so, so this year, over the last couple of months, Terry and a crew of folks in the office, whenever they've had time, they've just sat down and they've, they've added some new greenery to the wreaths. So, so the wreaths, the hanging of the, the wreaths, they're, they're, they're a, a time for us to remember that God is constantly offering us fresh starts, constantly giving us a new opportunity. So whether you see a wreath here, whether you see a wreath at home or when you're out in your community, I'd encourage you to, to pause and say, wow, God is offering me something new. There are always new beginnings. When Mark describes John the Baptist, he doesn't exactly paint a picture of someone showing up in their Sunday best or even someone showing up with their best Christmas sweater on. He came in camel hair and a leather belt. Even in the first century, it would have been seen as a bit off or as my middle school daughter often says of what I wear, unfashionable. The lesson for us in John's attire is subtle, but it's, it's really important. It, it's really important. His, his humility, his simplicity, it reminds us that preparing for Christ's coming isn't about fine clothes and extravagant displays. This is important for the posture that we take while we wait, while we prepare. He says, Mark writes, look, the one who is coming is so powerful that I am not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. 
So as we prepare for the many celebrations coming our way, may we prepare humbly, remembering that we're preparing for the arrival of a king who didn't show up at a big party. He didn't come with a a massive, loud coronation ceremony, but came quietly to a family in a modest inn. John ends his opening paragraph with the promise of the Holy Spirit. John would baptize with water, but Jesus would offer something different. He would leave people with the presence of God. Earlier this year, Haley and I and our family, we had some work done on the outside of our house, uh, which means that all of the hooks and hangers that I've been using for the last six years to put up Christmas decorations are gone. When I pull everything down out of the garage later this week, I'm going to have to start over. Part of me is terrified, knowing there are nights where I'll be out like Clark Clark Griswold, having all kinds of frustration around what works and what doesn't work and why there's electricity in some places but not other places. And part of me is excited. New opportunities. Everything doesn't have to look the same way that it did in previous years. I can actually put the blow-up Baby Yoda in a different spot, and it will be okay. It might even be good. Hopefully on the late nights that are surely coming, with lights that won't work and electrical outlets that have been moved, I will remember why I'm decorating in the first place. It's not just about making our house look fun or nice-looking. Our decorations are a reminder of the living and active presence of God. And as we begin decorating our church in about 20 minutes, I'd hope we would be reminded of the same thing. And as you go throughout your week, as you prepare for the Advent season, I would invite you to be intentional. I'd invite you to map out a plan for for how Advent might look for you this year. How can you plan to prepare for the presence of Christ. Let's pray. Loving God, help us to use our time this week wisely, to prepare for what's on the horizon in the coming days and in the coming weeks, so that you might be glorified and honored as we celebrate your presence among us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.